Wasn't that so good? It is so good to see kids up here. It's so good to see all kinds of kids up here and from all different ages. Hey, and I just want to encourage you, continue to encourage you, Warehouse Church, don't stop praying for these families. And at any chance that you get, any opportunity you get, don't be afraid to walk up to them and say, hey, is there anything I can do for you? How can I help you? How can I help invest in your kids? Uh, And it may be simply, they might say, well, I just really need you to pray for me. Or they may say, uh, we could really use a babysitter and a date night. I mean, whatever it is, if, uh, if you can provide an opportunity for them uh, to, to empower them and to equip them to be better parents, uh, I want to encourage you to do that because that's why we do this. You've seen them. You know who they are. Now it's up to you to go and to invest in them. And so today we are, uh, we're wrapping up our teaching series called Life on Purpose and, uh, and with a message that's called Do Something, dot, 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 anything. Like do something do anything. And so let's pray. Let's invite the Spirit to come and be with us as we have this conversation. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for the folks that are worshiping with us online. I thank you for the folks that are here in this room. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, that it would come and invade our hearts this morning. God, that you would reveal to us something new. God, that you would show us something that we need to know. Uh, Lord, because I believe with all of my heart that you have a message for every single person in this room today. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've been having this conversation about living a life on purpose. We've been talking about that there's more to life than just Monday through Friday, nine to five, that we all have this purpose that God has given us, that we're all uniquely shaped in such a way to live our lives on purpose. And uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the average American, the average American enjoys a standard of living that has been unimaginable for most of the human history. And, uh, and meanwhile, uh, while we are living large here in America, and, and, and whether you believe it or not, we are a wealthy nation, and some of you might be saying, well, Pastor Rick, you haven't seen my paycheck, but compared to 40% of the world, we are in a w- very wealthy nation, because 40% of the rest of the world lives on less than $2 a day. So if you do the math, that's $60 a month, that 40% of the world lives on less than $60 a month. And so that kind of puts things into perspective for us that in America, we are pretty wealthy people. But even in America, the economic gap between haves and haves nots is is really expanding and growing and getting further and further apart. And as believers living in America, because we are so wealthy or because we're some of the wealthiest people in the world, and there comes some responsibility as a matter of fact, there comes an enormous responsibility when it comes to living the Christian life. Because throughout the Bible, God's people are commanded to show our compassion to the least of these, to the last of these, and to the lost. And, and in, in fact, doing so is part of our job description as followers of Jesus. That as followers, as Christ followers, our mission is to love God, number one, but our second part of our mission is to love people. And part of loving people is loving the last and the lost and the least of these. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John of the New Testament, those are the Gospels. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus spending a considerable amount of time among the poor, among the last and the lost and the least of these. And we see him serving them, and we see him encouraging them. And we see him even standing up for them in moments when no one else will. And and he was carrying on this deep Jewish biblical tradition of providing for those in need. Because if you go back into the Old Testament and you began to read back in Genesis and Exodus in the very beginning, 
you see that there was this deep biblical tradition, Jewish tradition, of taking care of those in need, taking care of the widows, taking care of the poor, taking care of the single moms, taking care of those who had none. There was this tradition among the Jews to do that. In the book of Deuteronomy, we see God's compassion towards the socially vulnerable people. And here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18. It says, God, he, he being God, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Go down a few more chapters to Deuteronomy 15 and verse 7 through 8 says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend to them whatever they need. Verse 10 continues, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in everything that you put your hand to. So all throughout Deuteronomy, uh, where a lot of the law comes from, the Jewish law, we see this tradition of taking care of the least of these. And Isaiah continues in Isaiah chapter 58 and says, is not the kind of fasting, uh, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? So again, we see in this old Jewish tradition, this idea of taking care of the least of these, and it's from these roots that Jesus calls the early church and calls the church today to commit to seek out the poor and to dignify them with care, to care for the last and the least and the lost. And so if you have your Bibles today, we're going to hang out in Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at verses 31 through 46 together. And this is Jesus, and he's sharing a parable or a teaching story with the disciples. And I want to read it to you first, and then I want to unpack it for you, because in all the passages in the Bible, this would probably be one of the top 10 hardest passages for us to read. It's one that, that we don't like. It's one that if we could take it out of the Bible, we probably would. And here's what Jesus says, though. He's speaking to the disciples. He's Again, he's sharing a parable with them, a teaching story to help them to understand something. And starting in verse 31, he says, the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. So right there, Jesus is talking about his return. He's talking about his second coming. He's telling the disciples, hey, I'm coming again. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back, right? He's saying, I'll be back. And here's what I need you to know about that. Verse 33, he says, well, he says, and there'll be a separation. There'll be sheep and goats. And he says in verse 33, he says, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, those are the sheep by the way, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, the, or the sheep will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? They're like, Lord, when did we do this? Like, we don't, we don't remember doing this. We don't remember feeding you or giving you a drink or visiting you. In verse 40, the king, Jesus, will reply, I tell you, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, if I was reading this in my Bible time, in my quiet time, I'd underline that phrase. That's so important. Verse 40. Uh, then the king replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, the goats, he will say, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they too, the goats, will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and didn't help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they, the goats, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous, the sheep, to eternal life. Now there's so much going on in this passage, and sometimes this passage can be very alarming for us, uh, but let me just unpack it for you a little bit. The first thing that you need to know is this is Jesus' last teaching that Matthew records before Jesus was arrested and then eventually beaten and crucified on the cross. And so uh, it's also his final warning. It's his final warning to the disciples. He begins in chapter 24 telling the disciples about his second coming. So again, he's telling them, I'm going to return. I'm about to die. I'm about to be raised from the dead. I'm about to return to the Father in heaven, but I'm coming back. He says, I'm about to leave, but I'll be coming back. And, and he, uh, so he begins telling them what that's going to look like, what it's going to look like when he leaves and comes back. And after that, he shares several parables, five parables, uh, reminding believers of their need to be ready. And so each one of the five parables in Matthew that he tells, he's telling people, listen, I'm going to be back and you need to be ready for when I return because you don't know when I'm coming back, but when I come back, you need to be prepared. And so each of the five parables contains the basic point of being prepared for Jesus' second coming. And so you might be wondering, well, how do we prepare? Like, how do we get prepared for Jesus' second coming? Well, he tells them in the parables, and, and to wrap it up in one verse or one sentence, he says this basically, you're prepared by living uh, our lives with the knowledge that he will return and knowing that we are accountable for how we will live our lives. So Jesus says, listen, here's how you get prepared, by living your life knowing that I'm coming back and then knowing that you're going to be held accountable for how you live your life. That's how you get prepared. And so today's parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, one of those five parables, contains the same reminder. He tells Jesus, listen, you need to be prepared. But he comes at it from a different angle, a slightly different angle. And like the other parable, Jesus mentions, listen, he says there's going to be a separation. 
There's going to be a, div- a division. There's going to be us and them. There's going to be this division. And he says, true believers, he says, listen, true believers will be ready and they're going to be rewarded for being ready. And then he says, and then false believers, well, they're not going to be ready because they're not going to be living for me. And because they're not going to be living for me, they're going to be punished for the wrong that they've done. And so the twist in this parable is that many of the false believers that Jesus was talking about, the goats, they won't even realize that they're in the wrong group and that they're unprepared. Like they, they, they think that they're ready, but they're completely not ready. And we know this to be true. We know that sheep and goats, they look alike, right? Like we know the difference between a sheep and a goat, but they look kind of similar. Uh, they look similar, like similar animals. As a matter of fact, they both have wool coats. Um, their diets, what they eat is very similar. And they even sound alike. If you were to go to a sheep and a goat, they sound very similar. And so Jesus does this on purpose. He picks sheep and goat because he knows that these two very similar animals uh, are just like many of us, that many who think they are believers or in some way act like a believer are in fact not believers. Those would be the goats. They think they're sheep. They think that they're living, uh, that they, they believe in Jesus. They think that they're Christians, but they're not. And a goat living with a flock of sheep could go through their entire life. A goat could go through his entire life thinking that he was a sheep. I sound kind of like them. I eat the same foods as they do. I produce the same kind of wool as they do. I'm kind of like them. And likewise, a person, one of us, could have, a not, have the knowledge of God and think that he or she is saved, but in fact, they're not. The truth is this, that going to church doesn't make you a Christian. That going to church doesn't guarantee one's salvation, neither does praying or studying the Bible or tithing or even serving in ministry. None of those things assure you of salvation. The thing that assures you of salvation is a, uh, is a heart that has been transformed. Now that's the difference between a sheep and a goat. A sheep has a heart that has been transformed by God, whereas a goat just knows head, but knows nothing about God in their heart. They haven't been transformed by the love of God. You see, a real believer will have evidence of a changed life. And I want you to hear that. A real believer will have evidence of a changed life. They'll live a life of repentance. They'll live a life where the fruit of the Spirit is obvious in their lives. Well, what's that? That's uh, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit will be evidence in their lives. They'll have a passion for the gospel. They'll have a passion for telling others the good news. And they'll have a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, from whom there is no reward and no one else will likely see them. And so we get from this, pa- this passage of Scripture that the first thing that we need to know is that, that, um, that there's going to be a separation between the sheep and the goats. The second thing that we see in this passage is that the sheep are celebrated. The sheep are celebrated. Jesus praises them for their selfless behavior. Note that the types of things that he praises them for. He praises them for feeding the hungry. He praises them for showing hospitality to the strangers. He praises them for visiting the sick or those that are in prison. And all of these are acts of kindness that are shown to people who very likely cannot and will not repay you for your kindness. And Jesus celebrates them. 
He celebrates the sheep. And what is more is that these acts of kindness, most of them are, uh, are demonstrated in largely private places, like hospitals or prisons or even your own home. Like there's not an audience in front of you as you're doing these acts of kindness. They're often done in secret. And he does not commend them. If you read the scripture, he does not commend the sheep for doing things like singing, a, a, having a beautiful voice and singing on stage in church. He doesn't commend them for public acts of charity like making this jumbo check and handing it to someone. And he doesn't praise them for their sermons that are delivered to thousands of people. No, he celebrates them for simple, small acts of kindness, like feeding the hungry, giving a drink to the thirsty, feeding or, or clothing the naked, for these acts of, uh, that are done with very different motivations. And so we, we as sheep, if you're a sheep, we should willingly serve those who cannot give back in return. We should willingly serve secretly when no one else will know. We don't do it for accolades. We do it because we love Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 3. He says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, right? Like do it in secret. Don't do it to get a pat on the back. And Jesus celebrates those who serve the least and the last and the lost. The third thing we see in here is that the sheep are not only commended, but they're rewarded, right? There's a reward for being a sheep. The sheep are blessed by the Father. Their reward is truly great. Their inheritance is entrance into the eternal kingdom. Notice that Jesus says that this eternal kingdom has been prepared for you since the creation of the world, that this new kingdom, this new place that is for us, this new heaven and new earth has been created since, for you since the beginning of the world. It's a place to forever celebrate our relationship with Jesus. So Eden was an example of this. God created Eden for Adam and Eve. It was paradise. And, and then this kingdom that God has created for us is equally uh, paradise, is equally created for you and for me. And did you know, um, I don't know if you realize there's not, I learned this this week. Did you know that you can get a create a custom Oreo cookie made for you? You can not only get one, but you can get a box of Oreo cookies created just for you. You send them a picture, you get to pick out your sprinkles, you get to pick out whatever you want, and they will custom make a box of Oreo cookies for you. And, and these days, we like to have things custom made for us, right? Like we like to have um, uh, custom made for us. We like to uh, have shoes custom made for us. You can go and get your own Converse that are uniquely made for you. Uh, you can make a, have a car custom made for you. Uh, you can have a boat custom made for you, even a house. You can get your house custom made for you. And, and so one time I had the opportunity of meeting a guy named Keith Tower. And Keith Tower was an NBA player. He was the backup for uh, Shaquille O'Neal when Shaquille O'Neal was in the Orlando Magic. And I, uh, he was a church planner and we were uh, spending a weekend together, me and Keith Tower. And I was just, he was like a giant. He was like seven foot four, just this huge man. And, uh, and we were always, I mean, his hands were like, they, he, could, he could like take my head and he could just pick me up with his hand. His huge hands. And I'm like, Keith, dude, I'm like, how, how do you sleep at night? Like, did you have to have a bed? Like, how, well, your bed can't be long enough. He goes, well, when I grew up, we were poor, and my feet always hung off my bed. I mean, it just my legs always hung off the end of the bed. He goes, but I got a custom-made bed now, right, that fits me, because I'm seven foot four. Like, you can't go to Big Sandy Supermart, whatever that place is called, and buy a seven foot four bed. 
You have to have it custom made. So there's all kinds of things that we can have custom made. And in a similar way, God has custom made the eternal kingdom, the place that we'll spend forever with him. He's made it custom made for you. John 14, one through three even tells us that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you, that there's a home that has been custom made for you. And to God, let me tell you this, you're not nameless. You're not faceless. Uh, You're not just some faceless member of society, but he knows you. He knows you by name. And like the sheep were rewarded, God wants to reward you. And so we, we see this in this passage. The next thing we discover is that we serve Jesus by serving those around us. This is what Jesus says. You want to know what it's like to love others well, you serve, and what it means to love God? Well, you serve Jesus by serving those around you. Look at verse 40 again. The king will reply, Jesus, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is basically saying, you want to show me that you love me? Here's how you do it. Love the least of these. Because when you love the least and you love the last and you love the lost, guess what? You are loving me. And so we love God by serving those around us. And the Apostle John, he puts it this way in 1 John 4.20. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, they're a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Simply put, this is the way that God designed for us to show our love for him, is by loving the least and the last and the lost. The fifth thing that we see in the scripture is this, and this is the hardest thing. We see that the goats will be punished. The goats will be punished. You don't see any second chances here because there won't be any, which makes it all the more important for us to be prepared now. In our passage, we see that the eternal kingdom, it's custom designed for us. And that made me wonder, well, I wonder, is hell custom designed for anyone? He talks about this eternal fire. He's talking about hell. And I wonder, is, did, did God custom make hell for anyone? And, and, and I would say, yes, he did, but not for any people. God didn't design or create hell for people. It was designed for Satan and for his demons. And at the creation of the world, God designed heaven for you. And it's personal. And he wants you to be there with him in eternity. He did not design hell for you. It's not meant for you. You are not supposed to end up there. The truth is God wants all his people to be saved. And he wants you to be saved. And he wants your family to be saved. And he wants your friends to be saved. He wants everyone to be saved. But the reality is not everyone will be saved. Because God is a just and a holy judge. And it is not in his character to allow sin to go unpunished. And he will judge the sinner. But he will not do so, uh, he will do so reluctantly and with great sorrow in his heart. Because here's what 2 Peter says in verse, chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. So Jesus promised to return, but he's not slow in that. As some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so the Lord reluctantly and with great sorrow in his heart waits for us to become one of his. But not everybody chooses that. And not everyone will spend eternity with God. But here's what I want you to know. But that's not why he created hell. 
His never, desire was never for us to go there. And finally, the goats did not evidence a life of a believer. That's the, that was the problem. They didn't have evidence in their lives of being a believer. If Jesus himself appeared before them uh, hungry or if he appeared before them thirsty or naked, uh, they would have served him. They probably would have willingly served him. But Jesus did not appear to him. He appeared to him in the, in the, in the form of regular people. And thus their true motives and hearts were revealed because they passed on opportunities to love the least, the last, and the lost. The hungry came to them and they slammed the door in their face. The naked came to them and said, listen, I can't give you any of my clothes. I need every one of them. And they have a closet full of clothes. They were thirsty and they said, yeah, I can't spare a drink of cold water for you. They showed their true colors and their true hearts were revealed because when they had an opportunity to serve God by serving the needy around them, they chose not to. That's what the goats did. And why? Simply for this reason, because their hearts were not transformed And Jesus is not teaching here about good works equals salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you you have to do so many good works to earn my salvation. But he is teaching us that our good works will reveal our hearts. That the things that you do reveal whether or not your heart has been transformed by God. And so the sheep's actions were evidence that their salvation, uh, evidence of their salvation that they were worthy of praise while the goat's actions showed that they never truly belonged to God. So what does this have to do with our purpose? Like we've been talking about purpose. You're like, Pastor Rick, that's like a heavy passage. Why are we talking about this? Well, let me tell you why. Because last week we said that each of us is uniquely shaped by God to transform the world. And if we're going to be sheep, we must get up every morning with a deep sense that something terribly wrong with the world and do something about it, anything. And the truth of the matter is there is simply not enough loving the least, the last, and the lost going on in the world today. There's just not. You look around the world today and we are not taking care of the least, the last, and the lost. And Jesus has called us to care for the poor, both for their sake and for our own. And so we, uh, when the marginalized and the forgotten of any society are brought into the center of a loving community, that worships Jesus, guess what? Powerful things begin to happen. So we need to ask ourselves, where can we go together that we're not currently going? Where can we go and love the least, the last, and the lost that we're not currently going? And the funny thing is is that a table at the Cazone Experience a few weeks ago asked that very question. I want to invite Karen Hall to come up here on stage with me. I want you to give her a hand as she comes up. And... Karen and her table decided that they were going to uh, love uh, the last, the least, and the lost. And they were going to love, start at a rehab center. And so uh, I want to just ask you a few questions, Karen, and, and I want you to share with the folks your experience. But first, tell us what you discovered about yourself while sitting at your Kazone table. Okay. First of all, I'm not sure how I ended up here. Um, <laughs> there was other people at our table. Um, I'm long-winded, and I cry a lot. So at our table, Michael Ellis did most of the speaking for me. (laughs) He was able to um, figure out what I was trying to say. So um, anyway, back to our experience. We we were sitting there, and we were talking about um, Stacy Oosley, who um, if she was not out of town, she would be here um, on stage with me. Uh, She was talking about how... 
um, there was a man that came into her office um, to start up. Uh, he needed some help. He um, had lost everything. Uh, when we had the very high winds, uh, his apartment just lost the walls. And he couldn't even go in and get anything from his second floor apartment. And he had nothing. And he was actually living under the bridge close to the Mountain Art Center. Um, he stuck his hands under the partition and asked Stacy to pray with him. And I thought, somebody needs to help that man. And then it just came to me like, why don't we do something for somebody? I mean, why, don't, why aren't we the helpers? Why don't we see what we can do? And I think at the same time, Stacy was actually thinking the same thing. So uh, we got... We talked more, and we decided since that um, Dakota, who um, has been very, very open with his struggles with addiction, um, he was at the table, and he um, gave us a rundown of rehab and how there's people there that they don't have anything. They don't have socks. They don't have hygiene products. There's just um, things that they don't have that they really need. And then I was thinking about um, last year for my birthday, I have everything I need. So I told um, my husband, Wendell, that I just really wanted to take some pizzas to the rehab center that's down the street from our house. And um, the story, is, this is not about me buying pizzas for people in rehab. The story is when I took the pizzas to them, they were just amazed that I went to Pizza Hut instead of the $5 Little Caesar pizzas. When something like that is a big deal in your day, that, that just breaks your heart. And um, anyway, that's how we started with rehab. That's, that's how um, we decided that we were going to do something for the people um, in rehab. And so you're currently, right now, you're looking for a rehab center to partner with and uh, as a group. So you've got a group of people that have joined you and, and joined in this mission to do that. Yes. And uh, so tell us more about it. How, can, how, can, how you came to that decision, what, what that kind of looks like, what your hopes and dreams are for uh, partnering with a rehab center. Okay. So we um, actually, I'll be speaking to the rehab that I took the pizzas to Monday. Um, uh, we've talked to other, a couple other rehab centers and... Um, I think that God is just leading us somewhere else, and we're, we're not sure. Uh, but when we find the right one, we will know it. And um, we plan on just on a random Saturday going and um, just talking to them. Not, about, not specifically about Jesus. We just want to go get to know them. Maybe take some pizzas, uh, play some games, um, just learn who they are as people. And I think through that experience, we can learn what they need. Whether it's um, hygiene products is really, I think, one of the big things that we thought about. Um, maybe making hygiene bags. And then um, we'll go again and we'll take the hygiene bags with us. And other than that, we don't really have much of a plan. We're just waiting on God to lead us to what we need to do. It's awesome. 
And I think that I told you earlier, service Pizza Hut of all the fast food pizza places, that's the king, right? <laughs> so uh, what can we do to partner with you? So what can Warehouse Church do to partner with you when, when, he, okay. when you finally find that place? And... Well, what we thought, instead of like having, asking the church to, to run all around Walmart and pick this, this, and this, that we would just start out small and say, hey, church, um, we're going to start working on our bags. Maybe this week that while you're out picking up your groceries or something, you could grab an extra tube of toothpaste or um, whatever we find that need is. Just as a church, just, just bring a tube of toothpaste or um, uh, just something that what we find out first, what we need, that's what we'll be asking for. And I love um, that you are wanting to find out the need. Like we're not yes. assuming this is what you need. But you're, you're actually being intentional about saying what are the needs and how can we help meet those needs. Absolutely. And I love that. What, is it, what, um, what does it mean to you when I say do something, anything? Okay, so um, first of all, I will tell you that none of this is scripted. I didn't plan my answers. Um, I didn't practice anything, so... I didn't tell her what to say. <laughs> no. And I said, if my arm is doing this, it's because my watch is telling me my heart beats over 150. So <laughs> I'm a little nervous. <laughs> um, so during first service, when, when he, um, I saw that, do anything, I was just thinking, you know, our hearts are like a, a pond. And if you don't treat that pond with kindness, and if you don't feed it, then it's going to get stagnant. And a stagnant heart is not something that that we need i mean we need to feed it good stuff we need to pour out of our hearts to others and pour into them and um i just hope that your heart never gets stagnant that's awesome can we give karen a big hand so don't be a goat don't be a goat that's right <laughs> so um so thanks so much karen and, and here's the truth church uh, here's what we need to know is that you will need to become the change that you want to see in the world to truly impact it. That's that whole pond thing, that you will need to become the change that you want to see in the world if we're going to have an impact in the world. And the world around the church, uh, it needs to change. Nobody would argue with that. The world around us needs to change, but the change has to start in here. The change has to start in our hearts and with us. And one of the things I love about Warehouse Church is I love its desire to be a part of the change in our community and a part of the change in the world. And our neighbors and our nations, that's what we call them. We call them our neighbors and our nations. And God is raising up people right here to lead the change in our community. He brought together a table that kind of spread to other tables in the Kazone experience to reach out to a rehab center. Nathan Bricken right now is working on a ministry to provide transportation for the folks living in Goble Roberts. He did that all on his own. Uh, he, he saw a need. He's like, hey, how can we fit that? How can we meet that need? And that ministry will open up so many other doors for the folks at, uh, to do ministry at Goble Roberts. We are in conversation right now with Crossroads Missions to potentially start a satellite campus in Maytown and we're looking for ways to help Spring Deeds, one of our very own, to help arm her and support her as she does her work to help families and our community that are in need. And she does such an amazing job of that, and we want to be a part of that. And so beyond our community, just beyond what's going on in our own neighborhood, uh, we, we continue to support missionaries all across the world. Uh, we currently are supporting a college student at the University of Central Florida through uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, we are currently helping uh, support the 
Snow family, which live in Okinawa, Japan, and their ministry there. And we are also supporting the mission work of Far, our far-flung tin can uh, and their ministries that they're doing all over the world. Uh, South Pole or the North Pole, they're doing stuff in, in just all different parts of the world. And beyond that, we are hoping and looking to do a mission trip in the summer of 2024, joining far-flung tin can uh, in one of their global mission trips. You see, God is working here uh, in Warehouse Church, and he's working in the hearts of people that are willing to be a sheep and not a goat, who are willing to uh, minister to the least, the last, and the lost of these. And, uh, and I love that. And I love that you are a part of that. When you give, I don't know if you realize this or not, but when you give, 10% of that right off the top goes into our missions for neighbors and nations. And we give. That's how we support our missions is through the work, that, the, through your offering. And at the end of the day, uh, I just want to encourage you, let's be sheep. Let's be sheep and love the least and love the last, love the lost with everything that we've got. And Mother Teresa said it the best when she said these words. It's up on the screen for you. It says, everyone can do something. Do you know that? Every one of us can do something. And then she says, just do the next kind thing that God puts in front of you. Just do the next kind thing. It could be helping someone uh, change their tire on the side of the road. You may know a family that they don't have clothes and you could provide clothes for them. Uh, you may know a family or a single mom that she doesn't have enough money to feed her children and you could provide in that way. Just like Mother Teresa said, every one of us can do something. We are the wealthiest nation in the world. Every one of us can do something. Just do the next kind thing that God puts in front of you. One of my heroes in the faith is a guy by the name of John Wesley. John Wesley uh, and his brother, uh, Charles Wesley. Uh, Charles Wesley wrote like over 500 hymns. Some of them you may be familiar with and, and may have sung when you were growing up. But John Wesley, uh, uh, he, was a, um, he was passionate about expanding the kingdom of God. And so he was one of the people that uh, was largely responsible for the founding of the Methodist movement. Uh, but more than that, he was all about uh, living a life of serving the least, the last, and the lost. And so he had this idea of circuit riders where he would put men on horses. He would train them, he'd put them on horses, and they would go to four to five towns every day. So they'd travel hundreds of miles on horse every day, and they would share the gospel in those four or five towns. They would go and preach in towns that didn't have churches or didn't have pastors. And they would go and share the good news and every year, they would gather these circuit riders together. And they would pray this prayer that I'm going to share with you. Now, it's written in Old English. And so you might be, hmm, that's weird. Uh, that's like reading Shakespeare. And it is, because that's how they talked in those days. But this declaration that they would make, this covenant prayer that they prayed, uh, I think it would serve any one of us in this room well if we are brave enough to pray it. Because it's a bold prayer. It's a big prayer. And we said at the beginning of the year that we as a church are going to pray big, bold prayers. And many of those circuit riders prayed this prayer. And because of that, the great awakening in America happened. And people began to know who Jesus was. And they began to follow Jesus. And they began to have transformed hearts. And so I just want to invite you to read along with me. You don't have to read out loud. Just read it to yourself. But this is the prayer. It says, I am no longer my own. I'm no longer my own, but thine, Lord. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt, poor, rich, whatever. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee. 
exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven, amen. So church, let me just encourage you. Let's not be like goats, but may we become an army of sheep, an army of sheep that will do something, anything, to make a difference in the world. Listen, we can't do everything, but every single one of us can do something. We can all do something. So the choice is yours. Will you be a sheep living with a transformed heart that cares for the least and the last and the lost? Or will you be a goat who chooses to live for self who has no transformed hearts and who only thinks of their selves. God lets us choose. You have the choice. Which one will you choose? Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for these children that we got to spend time dedicating today. And God, my prayer for them is that they will grow up being sheep they will grow up knowing to love you with all of their hearts and all of their soul and all of their mind. That they will go and serve the least and the last and the lost because their heart has been transformed by you. Father, I pray that same thing for every person in this room. Lord, I want every one of us to be rewarded with the greatest reward we could ever get, which is eternal life with you. Lord, I don't want anyone in this room not to experience that amazing gift. But the reality, Lord, is that you know this better than we do, is that you give us the free will to choose whether to follow you and have a transformed heart or to follow our own lives in our own way and to live a life eternally separated from you. Lord, my prayer, my heart's desire is that no one would leave this room today a goat, but that all of us would leave this room today like the sheep, transformed and willing to serve the least of these. Father, that's how we show our love to you, by serving those who are less than us, that have less than us. So if you're here this morning, church, and you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you're recognizing, you know what, I'm a goat, like I'm living for me. I haven't been living for the Lord. My heart hasn't been transformed, but that's you. Let me just invite you today, just right now in your seat, just say, say, God, I recognize that I'm a goat and I wanna be a sheep. Would you come and transform my heart? Forgive me of my sin, transform my life, make me new today so that I might be able to live forever with you and so that I might be able to live my next few days on this earth, loving the least, the last, and the lost. Just invite Jesus into your life today. Just say, I don't wanna be a goat. I just wanna be a sheep. And for those of us who maybe recognize, you know what? My heart hasn't been transformed. 
I say I'm a believer. I say I'm a Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible, but it hasn't changed me from the inside out. Maybe just invite the Lord to come and renew your spirit today to transform your heart. Renew it. Make it new again. Father God, would you just work in the lives and the hearts of these people? Lord, would you bring transformation to each and every one of us? May we leave here today willing to do something, anything, to serve you because we can all do something in your name and for your glory. And all of God's people said,